One of those odd things I learned along the way was that in small churches, it takes just a couple minutes to receive the offering. In larger churches, it goes on forever, so you have this long piano uh, song, you know, played and everything. And uh, But in small churches, it just kind of like a sneeze, you know, and it's over. But uh, it's good to be here with you today. I am Rick Collins. I'm Grant's dad. Uh, this is his mom, Jane, and uh, she is the one who ruined him. So uh, made him the man he is. He's at the beach enjoying some time with friends and family, and uh, he asked me if I would stand up and fill in, so I'm glad to be here with you. Is this thing okay? It feels like it's going in and out. Is that me? Fix me. <laughs> hey, it's great to be with uh, young people. It's great to preach in jeans. Uh, that doesn't happen too often in my, in my league. Uh, for years, we wore suits and ties, and uh, it was really hard. I remember the first time I tried to serve communion without a suit on. It was like I felt at any moment a bolt of lightning was going to come down and destroy me. But it's really, it's cool, it's good. I'm glad to be here with you. Amen. This morning we're going to start a series on the Holy Spirit. Grant's actually going to finish up. Uh, I'm going to begin, and I want to talk to you today about the Holy Spirit. Uh, from chaos to rest. From chaos. How many of you know the word chaos? How many of you are familiar with it? Pretty much so. Okay. We're going to talk about chaos some and how the Holy Spirit works in our lives to bring about God's order. We'll begin with a passage from 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 41. And I'm reading from the NIV. I'll take all the passages of Scripture from that version. 2 Chronicles 6, 41. Now arise... Now arise, Lord God, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Years ago, we used to sing a song, uh, So Arise to Your Rest and Be Blessed by Our Praise. You remember that song? I used to try, I, I couldn't figure that out. Well, arise to your rest. It was not language that I would use, okay? To God. God, arise to your rest. Now, I knew from the book of Genesis that God had entered his rest, that at the end of six days, on the Sabbath day, it says, God rested from his labors. I knew that scripturally. So what is this about? I had a feeling that Arise was talking about, go up onto your throne, having been in Near Eastern uh, temples and places of worship, I found out that, that most of them had a throne set up on a platform. So that made sense. But I couldn't figure out the rest part. Another scripture that goes along with that is found in Psalm 132. Psalm 132, verses 7 and 8. It says, let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool, saying, arise, Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Come to your resting place. Again, a question. What is this about? Why is Solomon inviting God 
to rest. What's going on here? Now, we know that God is omnipotent. It's a fancy word meaning that he has all power. And if he has all power, it also means that he doesn't get tired. The psalmist says about him that God neither slumbers nor does he sleep. He doesn't need rest. Unlike us, he is able to keep on going. So there is uh, a little puzzle that we need to put together. Now, I know a little bit about sleeping because of sleep disorders. This week, I had the joy of having a sleep test. My doctor said, we're going to do a sleep test. So I said, okay. So I went up to St. Francis for a sleep test, and they put me in this little room that it wasn't nearly what I expected for the money that I was paying. You know what I mean? I mean, it was terrible for that. But I went in this little room, and a very nice lady started telling me all that was going to go on, and I'd had one before, so I told her I was, I was okay with it. I knew, I knew. I said, but I probably am not going to sleep. She said, oh, really? She said, I th- you probably will. You're tired. I had spent the day in the swimming pool, cleaning the pool, and, and had gotten a healthy sunburn, especially on this part of me, which is very pronounced. And so... I said to her, I'm probably not going to sleep. She said, but we'll, we'll try anyway. You've got to. She said, you need six hours of sleep or being real still. So I heard that part. So she comes in. Have any of you ever had a sleep test? Oh, it's terrible. They want you to sleep, but here's what happens. They take every wire that they could find in Columbus, Georgia, and attach it to you. I had six or eight on my head alone. I looked like Frankenstein monster. I had two right here, all the way down. They put this glue in your hair and stick them to your scalp. Then they put them on your chest and on your stomach and on your legs. And then they put this thing on your finger to, uh, I guess, check your heart rate. And then they say, okay, lay down and go to sleep which was impossible for me. I said, you know what, I'm a side sleeper, and this just doesn't work. All these wires, I'm pulling them wherever I go. And she says, well, just try, but you may have to get on your back. And I said, yeah, that ain't going to work. So I did not go in it with faith, all right? Because I understood this, that sleep is about some processes and having things just right. I learned that from my wife. Now, I was a sloppy sleeper, meaning if it got late, I was halfway comfortable, lights blaring, television on, it didn't matter, dog barking, I'm asleep. But my wife was a very sensitive sleeper, meaning that she had to have everything just right. Some of you identify with that. The right pillow. Total darkness. We have always had plantation shutters, and I will just close them, but she doesn't want them just closed. She pushes them until no light at all can enter that room. Then we buy a clock that has a digital read on it so that you can see it in the dark. She covers that up. I've gotten up many nights thinking it has to be morning 
No clock to, to check because she's got it covered up. I've challenged Dorona enough to uh, try to get her to change, but she won't change, and so I did. I now need it dark. I now uh, appreciate all of those lights out and the right pillow. In fact, I couldn't believe I said it, but as the woman was tucking me in, I said, I should have brought my pillow, especially the long one I call Olive. <laughs> she said, I won't even ask you about that. What we need, you see, is uh, in order to go to sleep is order and a process that helps us to rest. For some of us, it means more than other things. For my wife, it means no dishes in the sink. Now, that never made sense to me. I thought, that ain't hurting anybody. But to her, everything needs to be in order. Y'all get it? I've learned that lesson. That there's some things that are more about more than just going to sleep. There's an order that allows us to truly rest. When Solomon invites God to come into his rest, Solomon is saying things are in order. This house is ready. This temple that we built for you is adequate. And God, right now, you can come in and take your rest because things are well-ordered. Now, what does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, the first time we see the Holy Spirit at work in the Scriptures is in Genesis chapter 1. It's at the creation account. And it begins with the Bible saying that the earth was formless and void, and it gives a picture a chaotic ocean, a sea that is restless, that is not contained, if you will. And it says at that point that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What was happening there? Well, we'll see in subsequent verses that God begins to speak to that primordial, chaotic scene and bring about order. And aren't you glad that he did? He made sense of a mess. He was able to speak, and this is what his word is powerful to do. His word is powerful to come into our lives and bring order where there's been chaos. But it begins with the spirit hovering over these waters, doing this work, because it is the work of creation to bring about God's order and God's way in a world that sometimes is chaotic. That's what Genesis 1-2 is about. So Solomon was saying, 
to God, God, come in here, not because you're tired, but because you're the king. And we want you to live with us, and we want you to rule over us. Now he says, I've done everything that I know to make that happen. Now, I will tell you that the temple was never God's thought. It was never God's intent. No building made with hands was really God's intent. The tabernacle, he was given a very direct order how to build it, but the temple was more Solomon's idea and David's dream. So God is being invited to step into this house and to begin to rule because everything is in order. That's the way he created the world. At every day of creation, he stops and says, it's good. It's very good. And he ordered it that way because he wanted to live with it and live in it. Can I tell you, God's intentions from the beginning was to build a temple. But it was his kind of temple. No walls. How many of you have ever been outside and you've had that thought, this is the most beautiful cathedral of all. This is the greatest place of worship of all. Look at this. Well, it is. Because it was God's intent to create a world, if you will, a temple, where he could rule from and where everything would be done according to his order and his plan. He did it so that he could live with us, live among us. You know, when David said, I, I have a nice house, God, I want to build you a house. God says, have I ever asked you to build me a house? And in fact, he kind of laughs and says, what kind of house are you going to build for me? I am seated in heaven and my feet go down to the earth. How are you, David, going to build me a house? David says, I need to build you a house, God. I'm, I feel bad that you don't have that place. God says, ever since I led you out of Egypt, I have been content to live in a tent so that I could move wherever you went. What's he saying? I just want to be with you. I want to walk with my people. I want you to be a part of me. I don't want to be secluded in a building somewhere. And I want to applaud y'all for community building in a way that won't allow God just to dwell in a building. Amen? That's what this church is about. That's part of the dream. That God would move in and out among his people and that they would be indeed in fellowship. How do we know that there was that kind of fellowship? Well, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were hiding, right? And God comes looking for them. How many of you know that God will come looking for you? He will. He comes looking for them. And it says that they're hiding out in these bushes. They've made some really bad-looking underwear. And they hear, it says, the sound of God walking 
in the garden like he did at the cool of the day. What are they saying? They're saying, we know his footsteps. We know what he sounds like. We have heard it before. God is present here in this with us, and he desires to have a relationship Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. He says, there's an offer, there's a promise of rest. He says, but there are people who heard that promise. They were listening to those words, but they did not find rest. And it says they didn't find rest because they didn't combine it with faith, number one. And secondly, they did not find rest because they were disobedient to God. So God is calling us to rest, but you see, his wanting order in our lives causes him to say, no, 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 no. You can't find it when you've got disorder, when you've got chaos ruling your life. You're not going to find it. God loves us too much to let us live in hell and think we're going to go to heaven. Amen? Now, we live in a chaotic world, but we don't have to be a part of that. So the Holy Spirit creates, literally creates an island of his presence, a garden of his presence that we can live in, and in that place, we can find rest. God wants you to have rest. He wants you to be able to have his presence in your life in a way that would bring order. Now, how does he want to bring order? What does he want to bring order in? Number one, he wants to bring order between you and God, with God. He wants to orient your life so that you're not at war with God. He wants you to understand who God is and who he's not. Y'all know the story of Abraham and uh, when God says, Abraham, look up. And Abraham looks up and he says, see those stars? Y'all remember that story? He says, can you count them? And Abraham says, no, I can't count those. There's too many of them. Now, at one time, I think that God is saying to Abraham, you're going to have a lot of children. Okay, You're going to be the father of many nations, many people. But I also think he said, that's right, you can't count them, but I can. You see, the Holy Spirit shows us who God is, and, and in that instance, he's kind of putting Abraham in his place. And he's saying to Abraham, I'm God, you're not. And when Abraham tried to act like God by taking things into his own hands, he messed up. God is saying to him, look, let me be God. And the first thing the Holy Spirit teaches, I think, is that we're not God. And God is wholly other. He's so different from us. Secondly, he wants us to have order as it relates to ourself. You know, some of you have got a chaos going on inside of you. You don't need anybody else to play devil in your life. You've got enough going on yourself. 
I used to say if the devil died tomorrow, I would still have an enemy. Amen? Me. If he died tomorrow, I would still have problems. Me. God wants to cure the chaos that's inside of us. Thirdly, God wants to cure the chaos with others. You know, Adam and Eve lived perfectly happily naked until they were tempted and drawn away from God. And then immediately the blame game starts. He said, the wife that you gave me, God, she calls this. And they hid themselves not only from God, but from each other. So God wants to bring order into your life as it relates to others. And finally, he wants to bring peace and rest, and he wants to bring order between you and creation. How many of you know that the last thing that's going to happen before we all are joined with God eternally is that creation is going to be made perfect again? Amen? Now, I believe heaven's going to be on earth, and I've claimed Colorado. Y'all can have the rest. I just want the state of Colorado. Okay? I believe that God is going to bring the new Jerusalem down to this earth, and we're going to dwell here on an earth that is not cursed anymore. We weren't made to live on a cloud. Somebody said to me when I was a young kid, he said, don't you want to go to heaven? And I said, yeah, but I do not want to sing hymns forever. I could not... I could not fathom, you know, when I was a kid, you couldn't do anything on Sunday but go to church, eat a lot of food, and take a nap. That was it. And we would go to Grandma's house. I, I had two other brothers, and we would sit in those rocking chairs out on the porch, and we couldn't fight, we couldn't do anything. So we would quietly, you know, hit each other, and hope that nobody saw us and I thought if I had to do this for eternity I might take my chances on the other place <laughs> it was terrible I don't think that we're built for that I certainly am not built to fly amen I believe that God has created this earth and us with it in mind and when he recreates it Heaven comes down, and we live here. My thoughts. If Grant disagrees with me, don't tell him I said that. But God has called us into new order. Now, some of you say, well, if God has called me into order, why am I such a mess? <laughs> well, it takes a while for a mess to be fixed. It really does. If you have a really big mess at home, you're probably not going to fix it in one day. Amen? Last week, Nora got a pair of scissors and decided she was going to go into hairdressing. She cut her hair off in a real funky way. I mean, it, it, was, it was hanging down on the sides and shortened the back. It was just bad. 
And so Grant calls us and says, Mom, can you cut Nora's hair? And she said, well, I'll try. But she said, I think Nora needs to go to a hairdresser. But let's get her here and see if she'll be presentable for church the next day. I mean, for school the next day. So sure enough, Grant brought her over, and she cut it. And I thought she did a really good job, but she looked at it and said, okay, that's the first step. It's not done yet. How many of you know that when you have chaos, you can't fix it really quickly? So you enter a stage, and this is what Christian growth and maturity is about. You enter in the stage called a chaotic stage. There's chaos, but God is bringing order out of that chaos. Amen? Lauren, when you plant a garden, when you plant a beautiful yard, you know this that at some point you're going to have to take something up and move it to a better place because the place you put it doesn't work for that plant. And there is an awful lot of that. And if you just you kind of just say, nah, that's where it is, I'm going to leave it there, you're not going to have a nice garden. God wants to work in your life, but I want to tell you, for a while it's chaotic. There's order. And there's chaos. Now, here's the neat thing about God, a great thing about his Holy Spirit. Number one, he's, he's familiar with chaos. And you need to be, by the way. This world is not headed toward a utopia. Okay? Now, I believe that we need to do our best to bring heaven down to earth. Amen? We, we absolutely need to in every way, whether it's our relationship to others with God, with the creation, you know. After seeing that turtle on Facebook, I'm ready to give up plastic straws. I just can't find any others. But we need to understand that God is working in our lives and he has a tremendous ability to commit to us in a way that we don't understand. Sometimes we give up on people really easily. God commits to us and his Holy Spirit commits to us and we better be glad of that. He commits to us in a way that we can't even begin to fathom. He walks through us through all kind of stuff. You know, I don't know most of you at all, hardly, but I can tell you, without looking, if I was blindfolded today, I would still say that some of you have been through some incredible stuff. But God has been faithful. God has been faithful. Now, one thing that we're going to learn is that the Holy Spirit is a person of influence, not control. He, he's not going to control you. He wants to influence you, though. Okay? Now, some people say, I'd rather him control me because I know my ability to do right, and I would rather he just use me like a puppet. He's not going to do that. You know why? God has given us a free will, and he wants to have relationships with, built upon love with us. And any time you have love, you have the risk of losing, of hurting, of failing. That song, reckless love, it's got the words reckless love in it. Am I saying it right? 
You know, a lot of old people don't like that. Okay? I don't know if y'all know that or not, but a lot of us say, God's not reckless. Well, God is not reckless, but his love is. I'll tell you why. There are people who could walk away from that love. Refuse that love. Spurn that love. We do that with the Holy Spirit all the time. We grieve him. We hurt him. But God's commitment to us is great. And he comes to us to influence us, not to control us. I'm going to close with this. One of the dangers with that, of course, taking advantage of the love of God or not really appreciating what kind of love that is, is that we might think because his Holy Spirit stays with us, that he's okay with everything. Amen? What I mean is this. David committed adultery and murder and lied and was everything low that you could imagine when he had an affair with Bathsheba. When he prayed about it, you know what he said? Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now, I'm not enjoying his presence anymore, so renew my salvation, the joy of my salvation. Psalm 51. He says, I'm not enjoying this salvation anymore because I'm in the pit of, because of what I've done. But he says, please don't take your spirit from me. The Holy Spirit was with David even after he did those despicable things. And it was a different relationship. How many of you have made your partner mad and you're still together but things are really different? Yeah. I mean, you're in the same house. God forbid you're in the same car on a long trip. That's <laughs> really bad. But when the Holy Spirit comes into your life to bring order out of chaos and give you rest, then he doesn't leave the moment that you mess up. So do not take that as an indication that you're okay. Because sometimes you're not. Do you have scripture to back that up, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Psalm 50. Psalm 50. I'm going to read it for you. Verses 20 through 21. He says, You speak continuously or continually against your brother and slander your own mother's son. He says, You have not gotten it together as it relates to others. You're not in order there. Things are out of whack. He says, these things 
you have done, and here are the words of God, and I have kept silent. God says, I didn't say anything. And he says, because I've kept silent, you thought I was altogether like you. Sherry, that's an amazing verse. God says to us, look, you are getting into disorder or you are in disorder, but I haven't left you. Now, I haven't been scolding you and I haven't said anything to you, but you need to understand, I don't like that. I'm not like you at this point. We're not together in this. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So when you walk with the Spirit, understand His quietness is not always an endorsement of what you're doing or how you're living. God is so faithful to us that He will go with us through all the mud and all of the stuff of this world and he will stay with us. But he does so with the hope of bringing about his order. You have some friends that you've been talking to about the Lord and God is working on them. And he is bringing his order into their lives and they're sensing it but they are not where he is and not like him. This morning, we start with the Holy Spirit and the first words are chaos and rest. And the key to rest is order. God rested not because he was quiet, but because he was finished and the work was done. Amen? How many of you know that finishing something is real important? Some people never get finished. I used to counsel a lot in church, and when I talked with a person that was suffering from depression, you know, part of it was spiritual counseling, but then I would get to the practical elements, and I would say to the person, you know what, are you exercising? No, I'm not exercising. Well, first of all, let's get outside and let's do something. Number two... Let's finish something. What do you have to do around your house? Well, I need to paint. I said, okay, paint the bathroom. Well, the whole house, no, don't try the whole house. You're going to get depressed again. Do the bathroom. Why the bathroom? Because it's small enough that you can finish it. You can walk in and you can feel good because it's in order. You understand that? God is calling us into a new order, ordered by his spirit. And when we achieve that, we begin to find that rest that he has promised us. It's a process. And it, and it takes your yielding to the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I believe more than ever before that we're being so distracted, so distracted that we can't 
hear the voice of God as we need to. And God is calling you to find that rest. And the only way that you can is by letting him order your steps. By letting him bring order to your insides. Amen? So the first words are chaos to rest brought about by order. God. Now there are a lot of metaphors for God. And I'm going to close with this. But uh, as you read through the Bible, you see all these pictures of God and who he is and what he is. My favorite happens to be that he is a, a faithful gardener or vineyard dresser, according to Isaiah 5. And he wants to bring order to this beautiful place that we call our lives. I said a little bit ago that God has to sometimes start over with things. He has to move things around. But he will do that to bring about his purpose in your life. I told Grant the other day, I said, you know what, I'm going to try to find somebody to plow us up a garden back here. We're going to create a fall garden and uh, we'll just grow greens, green vegetables to start out with, cold crops. But a neighborhood garden, because not only because it's good eating those collards in the wintertime, but because it's reflective of God's work in our lives of bringing order out of chaos, of taking something that is wild and bringing something that is good. This morning, if you are going through chaos in any way, I'm going to ask Sherry, and I, I do appreciate her ministry here, uh, and uh, kind of being the mother in the house. Uh, you got a lot of kids, you know that? But I'm going to ask her to come, and uh, our musicians, if that's your pleasure, and to pray. But if you are in need of the Holy Spirit ordering your life, if you need to yield to His presence in a greater way, then I'm going to encourage you to come out. Maybe there are others who will come to pray, but I'm going to encourage you to come up today and just yield yourself. You say, well, will this fix it? No, 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 no. If you're in a mess, probably one dose won't fix you. Amen? Now, some people get a really powerful dose and it seems to fix them, but honestly, it just sets something in motion that they begin to live in every day and they're renewed every morning. Amen? But if you're here today and you're honest enough with God to say, you know what? I need fixing. And I'm just yielding once again to the voice of the Spirit. And I'm saying yes. And God, would you, would you fix me? Jane, would you come up, hon?